the Lord's house. Um, I'm going to be preaching from Revelation chapter 21 today. If you would like to uh, open your Bible there, just wait until it pops on the screen. Uh, let's be sure and pray for one another. Pray for Mason Polk. He's preaching this morning at the Central City Free Will Baptist Church. And so let's pray for uh, young Mason as he does that. I, I was reading a news item uh, some years ago out of the paper, and the headline said, Pastor dies during sermon about heaven. Uh, the story told of this minister who died mid-sentence near the end of his sermon. His last words were, and when I go to heaven, and he suddenly grabbed the pulpit and uh, collapsed and fell on the floor and died from a massive heart attack. Well, I don't want to uh, replicate his performance today, all right? Uh, it's not, uh, that's not my goal or ambition, but I do want to speak on the same subject. Uh, when we go to heaven, if you get to go to heaven, what's it going to be like? Well, we have uh, several descriptions in the Bible about heaven. One is found in Revelation chapter 21, and I'd like to read that beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse number 8. Here's what John wrote about heaven as he saw it. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless uh, not only the reading, but now the preaching of your word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Uh, I pray that we would long for heaven. And dear Lord, if our hearts are not right with you and we don't have permission to go to heaven from you, I pray that we would do those things necessary today to grant us heaven for eternity. This I pray in your name. Amen. Well, I have been thinking about heaven recently, and so I just want to state seven truths about heaven with you today. Here are seven true things about heaven. Number one, heaven is a real place. Verse two, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Heaven is called the New Jerusalem. It has the features of a city. 
It is a literal place. There is a place called heaven. Uh, quoting W.A. Criswell out of his book on heaven. He said, there are some who say heaven is a state of mind, a fancy, a dream, an abstraction, an ideal, wishful thinking, a sentiment. But the Bible testifies that heaven is as real as the home that you live in or as real as the city you dwell in. And I affirm there is a real place called heaven. Number two, heaven is a prepared place. Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 2 that he would go and prepare a place for us. Get that? Jesus went ahead of us to prepare a place for us. And now in Revelation 21 verse 2, John said, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And here it is, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's prepared for you. Heaven is a prepared place for you. Back in John chapter 14, Jesus said, In my house are many mansions. He said again, I am going to prepare a place for you. And there are many mansions in my Father's house. Some translations say there are many rooms. Another translation says there are many dwelling places. Tell you the truth, I really don't know exactly what that means. And perhaps our focus shouldn't even be on the word mansion or dwelling place as much as it should be on the word many. Because the emphasis Jesus is making is there's plenty of room for you. And God is going to prepare a place for you. It's going to be your place, a dwelling place for you in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like my place. You ever... Okay, I'm the only one. You know, I just, I like, I like being at home. I like my home. I like my room. I like my place. How about you? Anybody? Okay, two or three of you? Okay. rest of you have no idea what I'm talking about then. You... I've been to uh, several uh, revivals, preached a lot of revivals. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to uh, a big town of Locust Grove, Oklahoma. Anybody know where Locust Grove is? little dot on the map. And uh, they got a great Free Will Baptist Church there, though. And a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Pastor, is there, and he asked me to come and preach. And, and so I went, and apparently... Uh, before I, I went to the revival, he had talked to Angie to find out, you know, what kind of snacks I like, what kind of drinks I like, what kind of books I like to, to read. Because when I went into that motel room, there was this huge basket uh, waiting there for me. Uh, people from the church had prepared it. They had already put it in the motel room. And here's this huge basket. had all the treats that I like, all the drinks I like. It had several Louis Lamar hardback Western books. had several books on guns and on shooting. I added it up. They must have spent four or $500 on the content of that basket. Why? Well, they wanted me to feel at home while I was away from home. And it helped. I enjoyed the snacks they got from me. I, I read the books they had for me. But I can still tell you, there's no place like home. Huh? There's no place like home. And you know what? God is preparing a special place just for you, for those who get to go to heaven. Number three, heaven is a perfect place. Verse 2, 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I've done tons of weddings. I I don't know how many weddings I've done in my ministry, but I am always, always amazed at how beautiful the bride looks when she walks down the aisle for the wedding. Because I've seen some pretty homely-looking girls on Friday night rehearsals. Of course, none here at Kavanaugh. This is previous ministries that I've had. Uh, man, I've, I've seen some of those old gals, and I, I was thinking, boy, I wish you were wearing a veil tonight at the rehearsal. I mean, just, you know, like my dad would say, they've been beat with an ugly stick or something. I don't know. But I'm, I'm saying that to tell you, come Saturday at the wedding, they are transformed into these beautifully adorned brides. And I asked for some identification, make sure that the same no, I'm kidding. I've taken that way too far, haven't I? Well, let me tell you, can I, heaven is a perfect place, perfect in its newness. It is called a new heaven and a new earth. The old earth and the old heavens are going to be destroyed. And in their place, God is going to create something, le- something that is perfectly new. And as he says in this verse, it is going to be adorned as a bride for her husband. It's going to be absolutely perfect. In fact, in verse 1 of Revelation 21, it says that there will be no more sea. In other words, the sea represents separation. In heaven, there will be no separation from that which is most important. In heaven, there is no sickness and no death. Everything that has been tragically destroyed by sin will be perfectly and beautifully restored in heaven. I'm here to tell you, heaven is a perfect place. I told the first service people that... uh, um, <laughs> I'm, I, I think I've, I've kind of I'm on the back side of life now. I'm about to turn 52, and and I'm starting to realize the things that are wrong with me. Uh, not just physically, but things that's been wrong with me all my life. I'm starting to realize these things and see these things. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. For example, I've, I've self-diagnosed myself as, as I think I'm a little OCD. Never said that, never been diagnosed that, but I'm, I'm realizing that I'm, 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 I got it. I'm a little bit that way. How do I know that? Well, I've come to the realization to, to, to see and realize I like it when things are just perfect. I like things to be perfect. I like things to work like they're supposed to work and do like they're supposed to do. Huh? Are you that way? And it really frustrates me and irritates me and aggravates me when things are not perfect. Therefore, I spend most of my life irritated and frustrated and aggravated because things aren't perfect. Are they? Duh. I'm just realizing this, I guess. But that's the way it's going to be until I die. 
Because this is an imperfect world. And imperfect things happen because we are imperfect people. But heaven is perfect. One day all my frustrations and irritations and aggravations are going to be gone. Amen. Wow. Number four, heaven is a personal place. Here's where it gets good. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he that is God will dwell with them, and he shall, they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and God will be our God. You see, the greatest thing about heaven is that we will enjoy unbroken fellowship with God in our newly fashioned bodies. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now the Bible goes on to tell us that flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. Therefore, we're going to have to go through some kind of change. We're going to have to go through some kind of transformation which will happen when Jesus Christ returns for His church. And when He comes back, we will be transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and we will become as He is. But here on planet Earth, we have to live by faith and not by sight. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Our life is a life by faith. We live by faith, not by sight, because we haven't seen God. But when we get to heaven, we will live by sight and by faith. Because our bodies will be transformed, we will be face to face with Jesus. And our relationship and fellowship with God will be more personal and more real than we could have ever imagined in this life. And this, my friends, is the glory of heaven. This is really what heaven is all about. Being in the presence of the living God. We sing those songs about heaven and the pearly gates and the streets of gold and the mansions. And we talk about wanting to see Paul and Abraham and maybe even that little donkey Jesus rode in on. But let me tell you, the glory of heaven is none of that. The reason the streets are paved with pure gold is because gold is nothing in comparison to the presence of God. The reason the gates are made with pearl and precious stone is because they are nothing in comparison to the glory of God. And that is what heaven is all about. It's about God being as He is Seeing Him face to face, being in His presence, and worshiping Him. That's what we were created for. And we will never know ultimate satisfaction and pure joy until we are face to face with Him. So heaven is a personal place. Number five, heaven is a peaceful place. Look at verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
on a weekly basis, I, I see my share of tears and crying and mourning and pain. Because the bottom line is this life is tough. And bad things are going to happen. You know that. Bad things are going to happen even to good people. We've all shed tears. We've all been sad. All of our hearts have been crushed. You know, it may have come when you was a teenager and that boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you and your heart was crushed and you cried. Or it may be older when you're a parent and you have children and they're sick. Or maybe you yourself become sick. You're facing death or you lose someone special to you in death. Your heart is crushed. You cry. Maybe it's pain that causes the hurt in your heart and you cry. Whatever it is, we all cry. There's pain in this world. But the Bible says God is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no tears in heaven. There will be no sorrow in heaven. There will be no death or pain in heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. I do preach a whole lot of funerals, and sometimes in funeral sermons I, I say that, you know, there are no hospitals in heaven, there's no nursing homes, there's no rehabilitation centers, there's no handicapped parking places, and there are no pharmacies. God takes all that away. Heaven is a peaceful place. It's an awesome place. Number six, heaven is a pleasing place. Verse number six says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give, and here it is, of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Your hunger and your thirst will be quenched. The longing of your soul will finally be satisfied. Will be totally consumed with that which is ultimately satisfying. Knowing and loving God. You know, I suppose everyone has their own concept of what heaven is like. We read the Bible, we understand the things that it says about it, but, but still we, you know, think, okay, is it, you know, they're going to be pets in heaven, they're going to be animals in heaven, you know, I mean, how are our relationships going to be? And, and our, sometimes our imagination runs wild with that. But here's what I know. Our relationship with God will be central to it all. We know that for sure. And I like to think of it in, in these terms, okay? I like to think of it in the fact that my heart is a container, okay? My heart is this container. And in this life, I'm fashioning and I'm expanding and I'm building this container. And this container that's in my heart represents my capacity for God and for the things of God. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So building this container in my heart to hold the things of God should be paramount. It should be the most important thing. And all of us are going to take our container to heaven. And whatever that container is, the size of it, it is going to be filled up with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now some of us are going to get there. And we're going to have a heart for God, or a container, okay, a heart for God, the size of a thimble. 
And I don't mean to be mean or rude to you, but that's just the way it's going to be. Because you really haven't been seeking the things of God here on this earth. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. You come to church every once in a while, but you know what? You don't read your Bible every day. You're not involved in the things you need to be involved in. You still feel the pull of the world. And so your capacity for the things of God is about the size of a thimble. And so when you get there, that thimble is going to be filled with these joys unspeakable and full of glory. It's going to be the greatest thing that you've ever experienced. But you know what? It's still just going to be a thimble. Others are going to get there and they're going to have a container, I don't know, maybe the, the size of, a, of an ice chest. <laughs> and it's going to be filled to capacity and overflowing. But there's going to be some of you who get to heaven... And your container is going to be ginormous. It's going to be the size of a water tower. Why? Well, it's very simple. You've walked with God here in this life. You are more in love with Jesus than you ever were with the things of this world. You have set your mind on things above and not on things below. And you have laid up treasure in heaven and not on this earth. And so your capacity for God and for the things of God is enormous because that is what you have been seeking while you've been alive on this earth. Jesus has been number one in your heart. Now, when you get to heaven with your water tower or your ice chest or your thimble, I guess the human instinct is going to be to wonder, will it, will it be all it's cracked up to be? Is it really going to be that good? And so you're standing there and you're watching God filling up somebody's thimble and you're watching God fill up somebody's ice chest and then he gets to your water tower and he just pours out this great joy of heaven into your water tower and it starts busting at the seams and it starts overflowing and pretty soon it explodes because it cannot contain the glory of God. And I guarantee you, you will be in much more amazement that day than you are right now. Hmm. You see, as I learn to live by faith, that is a life that is totally sustained by confidence and faith in God in this life. I am crafting my reservoir. I'm crafting my container. And the motivation is that the more I seek after the things of God in this life, the greater will be my fulfillment when I get to heaven. And I'm not talking about rewards. I'm just talking about that sense of experiencing God to the greatest and fullest potential you can. Does that make sense? I tell you, to me, it makes a whole lot of sense to invest my life, my time in this life, building that container, because my life on this earth is going to be about, it's about that long. <laughs> you can't tiny compared to eternity. So why aren't we investing in the things that really matter? That is our relationship with God. How many truths did I say I was going to have? Seven. Here it is, number seven. It's a populated place. Heaven is populated. Verses seven and eight. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God... And he shall be my son. Now, there's a sermon right there all by itself. You've got to be an overcomer. 
Okay? You've got you've to stick to it. You've got to live the life. You've got to overcome. It's very difficult in this day and age to live the overcoming lifestyle. But God expects you to. To be an overcomer. But, he says, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Well, how important is it to tell the truth? All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What he's describing there is hell. Okay, look back up here. You're going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven, which is perfect, or hell, <laughs> which is horrible. It's a lake of fire and brimstone, which is never put out. You're going to spend eternity in one of two places. You get to choose. The Bible specifically says right here, these kinds of people will not be in heaven. They're going to be in hell. Have I ever told you that Christianity is pretty exclusive? Huh? It's not politically correct in any form or fashion. God says there's only one way. It's my way. But heaven is populated. If those people are not going to be there, then who will be there? Look at verse 27. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only the people whose names are written in this very important book, which is called the Lamb's book of life, will be permitted into heaven. Now I'll talk about how you get your name in that book here in just a moment, but here's what I want you to understand. Uh, in Criswell's book on heaven, he said that of the people who believed in heaven, roughly three-fourths of them feel that they have a better than average chance of getting there. And the important word in that statement is chance. Of all the people that believe in heaven, three-fourths of them feel that they have a better than average chance of making it to heaven. Friend, you don't want to leave this to chance. This is not about the odds. The fact is, today, you can know for sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It ha happens the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's when your name is written in the book. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus can save you from your sins. You confess not only your sins to the Lord, but you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're saved. You're born again. You become a believer. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. You've been redeemed. You've been saved. At that very moment in heaven, the book is open and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. On judgment day, when you stand before God, the only thing that's going to matter is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, if you ask me today if I'm sure I'm married, I can tell you, yep, I'm 100% sure that I'm married. I don't have to say that I have a better than average chance of being married. I'm married. I know I'm married. How do I know I'm married? 
Because on May the 14th, 1983, at the First Free Will Baptist Church in Norman, Oklahoma, Angie and I stood face to face, and with Brother Joe Grizzle, we were united in holy matrimony. We committed our lives to one another. I know I'm married. I have a little piece of paper that tells me so. (laughs) And I know it because I experienced it. I was there. You know what? I have the same confidence today that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. Forty-six years ago, as a boy of six years old, I invited Jesus Christ into my heart at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church in Midland, Texas. It was on a Sunday night. You know the story because I've told you before. My pastor, Brother Zellers, preached for two solid hours on hell. It was so hot in that sanctuary, it's like he opened the lid of hell and we could feel the flames. And it scared it out of me. Because when he gave the invitation, I came and I knelt. He came and knelt beside me. He said, William... What can I do for you? And I looked at him and I said, Brother Zellers, I don't want to go to hell. He said, Son, you don't have to go to hell. And he opened his old Bible and shared with me the Romans road to salvation. And right there that night, I received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And Jesus Christ changed my life. That night, 46 years ago, my name was written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Heaven's my home. I know I'm going there. You need to know it too, friend. Uh, Think of it in these terms. Let's pretend. Okay? Let's, Let's act like we're in we worship just for a second. Let's pretend. Suppose you get an opportunity to get a glimpse not only of heaven but of hell. And so you get on this celestial elevator. There's two buttons, a heaven button and a hell button. And you push the hell button. And you can feel the elevator going down, 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 down. And as you go down, it gets hotter and it gets hotter. And finally the doors open. And you suddenly are face to face with a scene of unimaginable torment. It's beyond your wildest imagination of how bad hell could be. And so the first person you come to, you ask this question... What did you do to deserve this? You must be Hitler or Saddam Hussein. What did you do? And that person answers to you, I didn't believe. That's all they say. I didn't believe. And with that scene fresh in your mind and those words ringing in your ear you get back on the celestial elevator you push the heaven button up 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 you go the doors open and you view the most unimaginable scene of glory your senses are in overdrive but you pull yourself together long enough to speak to the first person you see and you ask them what did you do to deserve this place You must have been Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. What did you do? And they answer, I believed. I believed. I believed. You've got to believe. Your name must be 
in the Lamb's book of life. Preacher, I just, I, you know, I, I don't. You can know. And friend, you better know. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts right now as only you can. If there's someone here who has never believed, I pray that today they would believe. And dear Lord, if there's someone here that's uncertain, I pray that they would know for sure. And for those, dear Lord, who have allowed other things to come between you and them, I pray that they would come this morning and, and get that straightened out. And dear Lord, I know that every one of us have a family member or a friend or someone we work with, and we know that they're not ready to meet you. So may our hearts be broken for them today, and we come to the altar and pray for them. Lord, whatever the need is in this building, I know that you are more than adequate to meet the need if only we will come by faith.